Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and I'm so excited to be here with our guests today. I've never met them face-to-face, but I already feel like I know so much about them. They are the Reverend Daniel Damon and the Reverend Dr. Nancy Hall. So, Dan and Nancy, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Carla. Hello. So, I first heard about the two of you very recently when I heard that you use our hymnal, our sweet little community of Christ Sings, as a basis for one of your classes that you're teaching, and I have to tell you, I was floored. I mean, I know we have an awesome hymnal. It's super awesome. I know they worked for like seven years on it, but I never thought that it might be used as a text as in a university class. So I'm super excited to hear more about that. And I I really can't wait. But before we jump into that, I would love for you to take a minute or two and introduce yourself. So Dan, Nancy, I don't know who wants to go first, but let's hear about who you are, where you live, what you do, all that good stuff. Nancy, would you go first? I'd be glad to. So I'm Nancy, and I just completed uh, 30 years as a professor at American Baptist Seminary of the West in Berkeley, where I also live. I am a pastor. I've been pastor of First Baptist Church of Berkeley for 10 years, although um, a part of that church for about 35 years. I am a graduate of ABSW, class of 1980, so I've spent many, many years of my life directly associated with the seminary and have been um, minister of music for 40-some years. Uh, My passion is hymnody. That goes all the way back to being a, a very young person. I grew up in the Lutheran Church, so I was steeped in the great German chorales and some of the English hymns and uh, early American hymns. So uh, that's just followed me through my entire life and has become absolutely my favorite subject for teaching and sharing and uh, worship planning. So my one sentence bio is I'm a United Methodist pastor, a hymn writer, and a jazz pianist. Um, I have a degree in music from Greenville College in Southern Illinois, a free Methodist Christian liberal arts school. And voice was my performance area. Um, I I don't have any classical background in piano, so that wasn't a path that was open to me. But I've always played, uh, you know, 19th century gospel hymns, and I learned to improvise. All the piano players in the Evangelical Free Church in Rapid City added notes. Uh, we didn't know the word improvisation, but we called it adding notes. And uh, I came out to the Bay Area from uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota and uh, eventually was able to find work uh, playing the piano on Geary Street, a sing-along piano bar called The Curtain Call. And um, I worked nine till two in the morning and learned a lot of songs, learned to transpose, started to improvise. 
and then I went to Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, um, felt the call to become a minister, and put myself through school there playing uh, the piano in uh, uh, some of the nicer hotels and restaurants doing uh, private parties and stuff. That's me in a nutshell. Well, one of the things that really drew me to this podcast is that I lived in California for six years from 2005 to 2011. And I finished seminary during that time. And I was just drawn to the Graduate Theological Union and actually the Pacific School of, Re- of, of, Pacific School of Religion. I, and I don't know if it was because you had a Quidditch team <laughs> or what, but <laughs> I was really, I, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> uh, so that was a problem, but I, I did use make excellent use of your library while I was in seminary. So I felt every time I walked on campus, I felt like extra, extra cool. So I already think that you two are extra, extra cool for teaching there. That's amazing. I'm, I mean, I love how you, yeah, I just, I love everything about it. So Berkeley is one of my favorite places on the planet. I'm, I'm a little jealous, I must admit. So (laughs) I, I am really even curious how, how did you even hear about Community of Christ Sings? If um, neither one of you are from, or you know, know about us necessarily, we're kind of a small denomination. How did you even hear about this hymnal? Well, um, members of your committee came to the Hymn Society conferences for years, and uh, they seemed to be on the lookout for uh, new hymns and uh, hymn writers. So. Um, I uh, was uh, friendly to them. I found them to be very nice folks. You know, I didn't try to promote my material exactly, but I was uh, friendly to them and let them know I was glad they were part of the Hymn Society. Well, I I, I don't think our friendly listeners, our friendly listeners might know this or not, but um, Dan, you actually have, I just counted them, 18 hymns in our hymnal. And, and he has written some of Community Christ's, what I would say, favorites. Um, one is called I Have Called You By Your Name. It's number 636 in Community Christ Sings. Two Easter's ago, we sang one of your hymns, Woman Weeping in the Garden, and it had a profound effect on the congregation. And also your hymn, Come Now You Hungry, was featured at our world conference in 2019. And this year, 2019, was featured and we sang it every day, I think, at our world conference where 5,000 people from all over the world sang it. So I think it's also become a bit of a favorite. So Dan, uh, I know now why you know what Community of Christ Sings is because you are featured prominently in it. And I'm so grateful for your talent. Thank you. My story is a little different with the hymnal, although very much connected. I was trying to figure out this afternoon which uh, hymn society conference it was since um, the CCS was published in 2013, it was either that summer or summer of 2014. So the hymnal was introduced and featured at the conference. And usually what that means is through the generosity of the denomination or the publisher, uh, everyone who comes to the uh, hymnal features uh, section gets a copy of the hymnal for free, which I always love receiving. And we sang through, I think it was led by probably Jan Craybill and Jane Gardner, maybe a third person, I don't quite recall. 
Um, so we each had a hymnal in our hand and they took us through some of the highlights and um, things about the hymnal that were unique. And I was so impressed. Uh, I felt it was one of the best hymnals I'd ever seen. And ever since then, my husband and I have been kind of evangelists for the hymnal. Um, we talk to people about it and then we always show them the topical index. That's one of our favorite parts. And we start reading off all the topics and people are going, really? You're kidding. Really? There's hymns about that. And there's hymns about this. And it's, it's really enjoyable to share that such a hymnal could exist that focuses on so many topics we're generally not used to seeing in a, in a Christian hymnal. So the other thing that has intrigued me is I, the idea of a core repertoire for your denomination. We we're very uh, impressed by that and excited about it. So those are just two things, aside from the wonderful collection of hymns that I have um, been impressed by. Nancy, you're going to make me cry. That is, that's very, very <laughs> kind of you. And um, for our listeners who might not know, do you want to explain what the core repertoire means? This is a group of hymns. It's a, I think it's about two pages long. Let's see if I can find it here so I can speak intelligently about this. Thank you. So um, there's an in, index. Yes, it starts with non-English language hymns. And yes, the core repertoire, 824, however many hymns that long, um, how long the list is. Um, I don't know, maybe 60 or more. And my understanding from the way it was explained to us is that your committee, knowing the life of your denomination so well and your practices and habits, what you love and um, what you're exploring as a denomination, chose this group of hymns to say, this is a good place to start for any um, Community of Christ congregation. Learn these hymns and and." embody these hymns and and you will know more about who we are and who you hope to be by engaging in this core repertoire that's my been my impression that's and i'm serious yeah did i get it right you nailed it that's exactly it (laughs) oh good good yeah and so um ever since i discovered that and learned about it i've been Uh, I have plans to work with at least a couple of churches on this idea of core repertoire. I haven't accomplished it yet, but I'm keeping it definitely lively um, in some of the work I do with congregations. So that was, I've never seen that before. And I thought that was genius. Well, they did work on it for seven years. (laughs) Um, So I'm, I'm actually pretty intrigued by this idea of the topical index. I assumed that most hymnals had a topical index. That's not true. Or if we just have a lot more different topics. You have so many more topics. Wouldn't you say so, Dan? Yeah. They, they, and they have a lot of topics that are not covered in other hymnals. Exactly. For instance, I'm just looking at the first page. I have never in my life seen a hymnal that had a topic called alienation. I mean, my goodness. (laughs) Right. Also, aging is a new topic in our hymnals. The one Mm -hmm. right above. Yes. Yes. You two are giving me a newfound appreciation for this hymnal, and I didn't think that was possible. (laughs) So, gosh. Okay. Well, 
I don't mean, to, I don't really mean for this to be just like your hymnal so awesome thing, but I do want to hear more about your class and, and why, in your words, why is it important to discuss hymns? How do they affect people? Why is singing about justice and everything so important? Dan, why don't you start with that one? Well, um, way back in 2010, the Hymn Society met in Birmingham, Alabama, and um, we were, uh, I forget what the theme was exactly, but uh, definitely justice. And I was asked to do a plenary lecture there, which I called A Cry for Justice in Hymnody. And we, uh, it occurred to me at the time that uh, we needed justice for creation, for children, for the elderly, for women, uh, for LGBTQIA community, justice for people with disabilities, justice for the poor and oppressed, and for people of other faith traditions. Uh, so I, I did a lecture where I featured hymns that addressed these various things. Uh, a couple of mine made it into that lecture, but mainly I was featuring other other writers. And I've continued to write on those justice themes and, and also uh, some others that I didn't think about way back in 2010. But uh, we've, we've ended up uh, using that lecture as the basis for a course uh, called A Cry for Justice in Hymnody. We've, we've taught it twice now, I think. Well, you know, I was thinking about it um, after I heard about your class. Part of me was like, is it, I mean, can you teach a whole class simply on hymns? And then I thought more about it and realized that hymns are probably a good quarter of the time that we spend together. We spend at least a quarter of that time singing together, if not more. And so, of course, it's important. Of course, we should talk about it. Of course, we should think about the message behind the hymns and what we are saying and singing together. So uh, I, I appreciate you saying that very much. Nancy, what about you? Well, I think that singing hymns is immensely important, uh, actually, for me, and I have no problem saying this, it's the most important thing we do in worship. Now, there's many important things we do. We pray. We uh, hear the word and have it proclaimed, usually by one voice, a preacher. Through prayer, we share our joys and concerns, our laments, our praises. We give. We have the opportunity and the privilege of giving to go back to God and to the community. But for me, the basis of worship and where I always start is the hymns themselves. So my process of planning worship week by week is first I find out what the scriptures are going to be, depending on who the preacher is, what are they going to focus on. We use a psalm every single Sunday. And um, with those in mind, then the very next thing I turn to is choosing what hymns and songs the congregation will sing. So I don't, you know, wait for a sermon to get that inspiration. I don't look and see what haven't we sung there, you know, in the last few months or something like that. The hymns that I choose and what I feel so passionate about is hymns that will speak to the theme of the morning or sometimes themes. Maybe there's a hymn of praise at the beginning that doesn't necessarily connect directly with the sermon, but uh, it will lead us into that part of worship. And we should always leave with some sense of 
singing about commitment to going out the door and doing justice and caring for others. So I believe that what we sing is what we embody. The words become a part of us. And in a way, even though I'm no longer a creedal person, it's almost like the hymns are reciting a creed. It, it, the hymns at their best help us understand where our beliefs lie. And even more important is, I think, that hymns and songs are a call to action. And it takes time. In my 10 years as a pastor, we've gone from, you know, good hymn singing and uh, good choices to a much, much deeper engagement with hymns in our congregation where people really notice the words. They now come expecting the hymns to interact with the scriptures, the preached word, and uh, everything else we do in worship. So if justice is at the basis of that, I really do believe that we are, by embodying hymns about justice, along with other themes, we are equipping ourselves to move back out into the congregation after worship, uh, excuse me, into the community after worship, and live what we sing. I love that. And you have brought me back to a little bit of a moment of shame that I had actually last Sunday. (laughs) Because (laughs) I was planning and presiding and uh, I didn't have my preacher. He, He couldn't come. So at the last moment, I had to try and figure out a service without a preacher and all that stuff. And I, I chose this hymn that was suggested in our worship helps our, yeah. And I realized there was like this one line that really, really bothers me. And I kind of hate, but I went ahead and chose it anyway. And I, I told the congregation, there's one line in here that I really hate. See if you can figure out which one it is. Cause we're, we're a pretty like, uh, we're pretty loosey goosey congregation. We have a lot of fun. And at the end of it, for the first time that ever, people started talking up about the, or speaking up about the hymn and saying, well, I didn't like this line. Well, I didn't like this line. (laughs) And I realized this is probably not a hymn that we should sing anymore in our congregation. It's number 66, Speak, O Lord. If you, I don't know, you, I don't know if you remember it or not, but there's a, there was quite a few people who were like, I don't, there's a lot of lines in here that I don't agree with and don't resonate with me. So actually I think it was a really good thing because people, after I said, there's a line in here I don't like, I think people started really paying attention more so to the words. Anyway, so you gave them, you gave them permission to do that. You kind of, in a way you kind of opened Pandora's box, but I think in a good way. (laughs) Well, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see what happens later. Um, The line I did not like talks about full obedience. That word just drives me insane. So, Uh Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. especially here in Utah, they talk about obedience a lot. Uh, yeah, our- that's why. That's why the the old hymn "Trust and Obey" is the top of my hit list. Ooh, oh, I'm cringing. <laughs> I'm cringing. Um, so I'm looking through your syllabus. Um, they were kind enough to send me their syllabus, and it, it looks like one of the assignments that you give your students is they have to write an original hymn. And they have to write an original music setting for that hymn and write a sermon that addresses um, one of the topics. So have you gotten some really good hymns? Oh, what's that? You do one or the other. Oh, one or the other. One of those three. Have you gotten some really Mm -hmm. good ones back? Yeah, we did. Um, We we tried to, you know, 
hear parts of the sermon in class or uh, sing the songs in class. Uh, some, in some cases, the student was able to play and sing the piece. In one case, uh, the student sang it into my voicemail, and I wrote it out, uh, harmonized the melody, and brought it in, and we sang it in class. Um, it also, in your syllabus, you, you actually have them read through every hymn in our hymnal. It looks like they have to read hymns 1 through 50, the first class and 51 mm -hmm. through 100. So they read through all of them. And then do you, what, can you walk me through a typical class and what it would sound like and be like? Usually when we gather, when it's, um, we teach from uh, 5 to 6.30 p.m., kind of in between uh, other uh, times that the GTU holds courses and that my seminary, where we are physically located for the class starts uh, evening classes um, a little after seven. So we slip in there with a 90 minute class that may allow students to take both our class and then go on to an evening class. So uh, the first thing is Dan will sit down at the piano and start playing music. It may be familiar. It may be a little unfamiliar. Maybe it's usually sacred, but it might be more on the secular side. And that kind of calms everyone down, brings everyone to attention. And then, let's see, we've done it a little differently in the two semesters that we've, we've taught it, but we will collect their weekly 500-word essay, and the students write one every week, on a hymn text that they choose to write about. It can be on the topic of the day, or uh, it can be something they may have come across uh, in Community of Christ Sings. We also uh, begin the semester thoroughly briefing them on hymnary.org, which is an incredible online resource, and uh, Hope Hymns Online and some other resources. So they actually can range kind of far and wide on where they look for the hymn that they write on. And we usually will choose one of those uh, brief papers to read a little bit from, if we feel we have the time, we might have the student read um, at least some of the paper. And then, let's see, what do we do next? I think, Dan, this time uh, around, we turn to you at that point in each class, and you would give a, a mini-lecture on the topic for the day. So if it was a cry for justice for the environment or a cry for justice for racial equality or whatever the topic might be, you would give us a little um, beginning lecture on that. And then uh, from there, what did we do next, Dan? Well, we tried to sing uh, some songs. We asked them if they found any songs on the topic, and, and either mm -hmm. I had some. And uh, we were using my uh, most recent hymn collection called My Child is a Flower, where I've written uh, a lot of justice-oriented hymns. So sometimes we'd find something out of there, sometimes from Community of Christ Sings. Mm -hmm. But we would, we would spend the rest of the time singing uh, hymns on, uh, on the topic of the day. Right. And always with some commentary in between. Um, right. As the semester goes on, the students get, get bolder in expressing their opinions, kind of like your congregation, Robin, uh, Carla, I mean. Um, sorry, I was staring at the screen and it said Robin, but I know you're Carla. That's um, okay. Yep. <laughs> and um, they begin to be more willing to say things like, you know, this hymn really bothers me. 
and then we'll have a brief discussion about that and others might chime in or someone might say, oh gosh, that reminds me of a hymn that I wish I'd brought for us to sing and they might talk about that a little bit or about an experience in their congregation or in their life related to the hymn. So all along we're gathering experiences and opinions of the students and also of Dan and myself about how we feel about the words and the, and the music. We talk about how the words and music go together. And uh, since Dan is one of the, the rare writers that writes both his words and his music, um, I would say those are always pretty well integrated, but sometimes we'll run across a hymn you know, maybe even in the community of Christ, although I couldn't name one. And they say, you know, I think there could be a better tune for that. So those are the kinds of things then we discuss usually for the rest of the class session, because 90 minutes goes by very fast. And um, yeah, anything else, Dan, that uh, that we've tended to do in class? The question, uh, could you use this hymn in your church? And sometimes this would say they like the hymn, but they couldn't use it in their church. Maybe it's too radical, too far out on a theological limb of some kind, or, you know, they, they, they'll they keep it in, in their bag of tricks, but in their current setting, they don't feel like they'd be able to haul it out and, and uh, use it. Mm-hmm. And that's always an interesting discussion, because our uh, this last semester we had seven students. Our classes don't tend to be very big, maybe seven to ten. But within those, that small number of students is incredible diversity in, in every way you can think about it. So the students learn so much from each other about their settings, their churches, their denominations, the church's practices, what kind of music they have. All of those things end up getting shared over the semester's time. We talk about where in the in the worship service would this hymn work? Is it an opening hymn, a closing hymn, something in the middle? Uh, if it's a hymn on human trafficking, which I have one of those in my, my new collection, when human life is bought and sold, it's like, is that a general use hymn? No. You know, <laughs> if, if you're going to actually address the theme of human trafficking in the worship service, in in your sermon or in the prayers or something, then maybe you've got an opportunity to use that. Shirley Murray has a hymn uh, on that topic. There's only two that I know of. I mean, it's probably something you'll never bring up in your church, but it's it's one of the great pains of uh, human life. And um, maybe it, it if you have a song to sing about it, it it can open a doorway into a difficult topic. Oh, absolutely. You've reminded me of something, but before I say that, I just want to say your class sounds like the most fun class of any class I've ever taken in my entire life. I can't imagine like getting to go to class and get credit for singing and talking about hymns. That is so cool. That is so cool. It is fun. And I'll tell you, I really believe in this in all my years of teaching. Seminary graduate level classes, theological education is generally pretty sober, pretty demanding. You're studying theology and history, ethics, biblical studies, pastoral care, lots of, you know, very serious subjects. I don't make any apologies for this class at all uh, in terms of uh, 
how important it is. It is fun. And it is, I will even say, easy. Mainly show up, participate, do the assignments, and you're probably going to be guaranteed a, a good grade at the end. But to me, it is every bit as important as any other class students take. And um, I've had to, you know, kind of do a few rounds about that with colleagues at times that, you know, oh, well, you know, this is just a hymn sing class. No, not at all. This is a class where we study one of the most significant and important things that every church does every Sunday across the globe. So, excuse me, but I make no apologies for my class. <laughs> Nancy, you go get them. You go yeah, get them. Right. <laughs> um, what you reminded me of, Dan, when you were talking about the your human trafficking hymn, um, it was... I don't know if it was last year or the year before. I'm really sad that I can't remember, but um, there was a shooting in Florida, the Parkland shooting in Florida in a high school. And the high school students had had enough and they were speaking out and they were really being vocal about this is not good enough. And so that Sunday, that really touched the, the planner and the presider, which was myself and a, a good friend of mine. And we decided, actually, Dan, I didn't know it was your hymn at the time, but we decided to sing your hymn, Strong, Gentle Children, um, yeah. for to honor the, what those kids were doing. And, yeah. and there was not a dry eye in the place <laughs> after we were done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we really wanted to sing our, um, our appreciation for them and our support for them. So it, it meant a lot. Yeah, that's one of my favorites from my first collection. It's it's a beautiful hymn. It's beautiful. So your class sounds incredible. It sounds super fun. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like something that is desperately needed. Um, for instance, when I'm planning a service, there are times when I just feel a little bit lost on what hymns to choose. And I think mm -hmm. that having a class like this would give me some focus and would help me to figure out exactly where I'm trying to go and exactly where I want to be. So I, I appreciate the idea of your class very, very much. Well, um, Carla, I know you're supposed to ask the questions, but I was wondering, have you read through your hymnal, read the text of your hymnal? That's a really good question. And I've read through probably three quarters of it, but I don't think I've read through all of it. A lot of so people have in our ever. congregation, but I haven't. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think one of the things we try to do in our class is just give our students exposure to a lot of hymns. And, and um, exactly. It, uh, you know, because they're going to have to be choosing hymns week after week after week for their entire career. And a lot of them, you know, haven't read the Bible, and they definitely haven't read the hymnal. <laughs> uh, that's very true, and um, I feel like I'm going to, like, sit down tonight and read the rest of the hymnal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, back to me asking you questions. Um, oh, right. <laughs> do you, do each of you have a favorite in Community Christ Sings? I, I do. I looked at the question you know, and thought about it before this evening, it's full, chock full of fantastic hymns, some of which I knew ahead of time and others which I've never seen before, which is a total delight. But uh, two favorites so far. The first one is Till All the Jails Are Empty. Ah, oh, that's a good um, 
I've found that when people sing this hymn for the first time, they are just blown away. Um, they, they can hardly speak after singing it. Um, it's so powerful. The words, of course, by Carl Daw, and then the, the powerful music of the tune that it's set to in Community to Christ Sings, Work to Do, and then Dan's excellent arrangement. Uh, it's just a perfect match for the words. So that one is such a call to action without even having to say, now here's a hymn that's a call to action. I mean, everyone knows it as they sing it. Well, okay, so I'll just comment on that particular one, Till All the Jails Are Empty. I, I did that arrangement in self-defense because I, uh, the uh, actual composition by John Bell was a little too hard for me to play. It's got these 16th <laughs> note runs in it and stuff. <laughs> and so I felt like I, I needed, uh, I was, I was uh, asked to play it. I think it was at St. Olaf, but it was for the Hymn Society Conference one year. And so I worked with my teacher on uh, a piano arrangement of it that I could play. <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, thank God you did. It's amazing. Thank God. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. Um, my second favorite, and then Dan can respond, is uh, Creator of the Intertwined by our friend Jackie Jones. And I, it's one of the very best interfaith hymns that I know. I can't manage to sing the last line, your voice speaks many languages, just one of them is mine, without weeping every single time. Um, it's so powerful. And it's such a, a hymn of universal love and the call to understanding and embracing each other and putting aside our differences and just basking in our differences, really, and what we, what we can teach each other um, if we will just open up. So those are my two favorites of many favorites. Uh, I have a few, but I'll uh, just mention two. Sometimes We Wait Expecting God is on 304. It's actually the facing page with Till All the Jails Are Empty. Sometimes We Wait Expecting God to Feed the Hungry from Above, but Bread is Baked Each Day and Shared by People Who Are Moved by Love. And there's four stanzas. It's um, uh Four part setting with chord symbols, so you could you could do it you know with a choir and a band. I try to write in that style because uh, a lot of our conferences you know use uh, bass and guitar and drums as well as you know choir and so on. I also like Joseph, son of an ancient king. Uh, we we've got have a lot of Mary hymns, but not too much that focuses on Joseph. And um, I went through the New Testament and found every scripture that referred to Joseph and uh, included all those in that text. The, the tune is kind of like a, a folk tune. And um, I don't know, I just, um, it's a personal favorite. Thank you on the first one. I'm looking at 304 and going, oh my God, that's a perfect hymn for this Sunday, which I'm in the midst of planning. Because oh, the gospel re lection lectionary reading is uh, Luke 14, the story of the that goes, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, et cetera, et cetera. This will fit beautifully, and it will be new to my congregation. So thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> well done. Well, that's we use the lectionary too, so um, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind also. <laughs> Thank you so there you much. Go, Carla. Yes, thank you. 
You could sing the Joseph hymn for uh, Father's Day hymn. You wouldn't have to do Ooh. it just at Christmas time. Oh, cool idea. Great idea. I don't... I have I have one more tiny little story that you've all oh, reminded me of again. The other once a month we have what we call a spiritual practices worship. So we we go out of the sanctuary, we go into our fellowship hall, and we uh, meditate together, or we have different types of spiritual practices together. And the last last one we did, or maybe two times ago now, we actually wrote letters to detainees um, at the border. Um, there's some organizations that um, will give their, your letters to them. And um, so we also sang till all the jails are empty um, in that service. And it was, it was so powerful. I mean, I, I agree with you, Nancy, when the right hymn is chosen, it can really just drive that message that you're trying to get out there, just drive it home. And that's what mm-hmm. happened during that service. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we called our service till all the jails are empty um, because we were kind Thanks. of making it up as we went. It was re- it was a really powerful moment. Wow. So what other hymnals do you use in your class besides Community Christ Sings? Nancy, why don't you take that one? Okay. We've actually never used a hymnal as a textbook before. In fact, the last time we taught the class, Dan, did we have a textbook at all? I think we just relied on... Uh, New Song Celebration by Michael Hahn. Yeah. And that was for for A Cry for Justice and Hymnody or for our other course on um, Singing Through the Church Year. uh, Singing Through the Church Year. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We've taught several years together, so it starts to blur a little bit. But... um, we just did yeah. a pack of uh, of different readings uh, yes, that right. first time the class. Yeah, we have access um, during the class to the hymnals that my church uses because we hold the class in the seminary at American Baptist Seminary of the West, and the room that we hold the class in is also the room where my church worships on Sunday. So we have a cabinet with. Um, uh, the 1990 Presbyterian hymnal and the Chalice hymnal from the Disciples of Christ, and then a the African hymnal Heritage. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. The African American Heritage hymnal um, borrowed from our school's chapel. So we have other hymnals in the room. Although I found that this year, Dan, we didn't call on them nearly as often. And um, you you can bring the United Methodist hymnal um, from church if we're going to need it. So we do use other hymnals, and I usually put a, oh, what do I call it? Uh, each week I have a supplement of hymns that I copy from various sources using our, our licensing so it's legal, and um, put that together, and that's another set of hymns that if we have time, we can sing on the given topic for that day. So, yeah, we and then the other, the students, of course, some of them have their own denominational hymnal. Uh, we've had several Lutheran students over the years, and so, you know, they're conversant with their own hymnal. So we have a lot of resources, and that, to me, is one of the, the most important things we do in that class, actually, is not just sing hymns, but open their eyes to the incredible wealth of resources that are available these days, um, 
particularly through the internet. And uh, hymnary.org is absolutely amazing. You could do a whole podcast on that. And then uh, Hope Publishing Company has been so generous to have a whole uh, page in their website devoted to hymns by people like Dan Damon and many, many others. And those hymns can be accessed easily. And um, so we're just so grateful for all of these resources that are available. But I've found that our students, my students at least, from my seminary, have no idea. You know, they may have a bound hymnal in the pew at their church. That's all they know. So, I mean, it blows their mind that all of this is out there and accessible. So we really try to pound that home that you can do this. You don't have to have a huge library at your house. You don't have to go running around collecting hymnals. Much of this is accessible via your computer. I think one of the reasons we didn't uh, use the African-American Heritage Hymnal as much this time is, is that there are a lot of spirituals in Community of Christ Sings, and also mm-hmm. the uh, non-English language pieces, you know, songs in Shona and Swahili and Kosa, Yoruba, Zulu. I'm looking at, at uh, you know, the indexes in page 822 and 23. There's a lot of African language uh, hymns in, the, uh, in this hymnal. So we we definitely we have students of a lot of, from a lot of different countries in the world, and, mm-hmm. and so it's important in in every class that we teach that we in, include uh, songs from around the world, and this hymnal makes it very easy to do that. Well, that's really nice to hear. I actually love the African songs, and I love listening to. The, you know, the USB that we sell that has all of our hymns on it and um, has our people singing some of these hymns to help out, you know, us with pronunciation. And there are times when I just listen to just those hymns, just the African singing, because I, I don't know what I find in them, but I find a, a connection with them and with the African members of our church that I might have never had before. So I appreciate you saying that and bringing up the the different languages that we have in here. Because I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but I mentioned before that I live in Utah and the, the dominant church here in Utah has a hymnal for every country, basically. So in France, they only sing French songs in, I don't know, South Korea, they only sing Korean songs. Is that pretty typical or is what we've done more typical and trying to incorporate more languages? I think what you've done is more typical. Certainly the Methodist hymnal from 1989 uh, included hymns from around the world. It was actually one of the first hymnals to start doing that. We call it Global Song. And, um, the, you know, they they began that process uh, in 89, and we're, uh, we're still continuing it now. Well, that's good to know. I, I, was, I was hoping that because I can't imagine having a worldwide church and not being able to communicate uh, in song, at least, with other members of the church from around the world. So I'm really glad to hear that. 
Yeah, it connects with the idea of a core repertoire, which again, I, I don't actually know of another denomination that has declared a core repertoire and listed it in the back of their hymnal. No. However, I did look up the directions for singing in the United Methodist hymnal, and number one is learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, <laughs> learn as many as you please. <laughs> so, John Wesley... <laughs> Uh, in 1761 is saying, learn your Methodist hymns first. Right. So he had a core repertoire. I think Thanks so, for yeah. pointing that out, Dan. That's great. Uh, <laughs> that John Wesley, I feel like he knew what he was doing. And with a brother like Charles mm -hmm. writing however many thousands of hymns he wrote, I mean, that makes a yeah. lot of sense, right? <laughs> but John was Definitely. a very good organizer. He, yes, he absolutely was. Uh, him and Joseph Smith Jr. were around... Uh, well, I think John Wesley's a little older than Joseph Smith Jr., but they were around around the same time. Mm -hmm. So we've, we're coming to the close of our podcast. And um, one thing that I like to ask is um, if there's something that you thought I was going to ask or you wanted me to ask and something that you wanted to say and didn't get a chance to say, now would be the time to say it. So um, I'll go to either one of you, whichever one wants to go first. Is there something um, that... You're like, ah, oh, why didn't Carla mention this? Well, I'm going to jump on that one because um, as a hymn writer, I'm always excited about the ones I'm writing now. And um, I noticed that your hymnal came out in 2013, and I've got, um, you know, My Child is a Flower. I edited At Your Altars, a book of short songs with a lot of different writers. In this coming summer, I'll have about 75 more hymns coming out in a little collection called Little Seeds. And so your, your hymnal, as good as it is, doesn't have anything written since 2013. <laughs> you know, That's true. So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll you know, continue to do supplements and, and update your hymnal every 20 years or whatever and continue to do the groundbreaking work that you've been doing. I hope so too. I mean, hymnals are a great thing, but they're static, aren't they? Like once they're yeah. printed, they're printed. And mm -hmm. I mean, you're exactly right. We do try and keep up with the hymnal, but it's an expensive venture to make a hymnal and to get a hymnal out there. It's certainly an expensive mm -hmm. venture, but Dan, I, I think that we'll keep you in mind for more hymns for sure. Good. Okay. <laughs> Considering some of your, um, our favorite hymns are the ones that you've written and arranged or then, uh, yeah, I, th I think we're fans. Thank you. There are more really wonderful ones since the time your hymnal was uh, put together. So uh, you'll want to check in, uh, check uh, Hope Hymns Online at Hope Publishing Company's um, website because you can access, Dan, or is every single one of your hymns on there? Or is it, would you say most of your hymns? Most of my hymns are, are with Hope. I do have one collection with Abingdon Press. And mm -hmm. uh, I have tunes uh, for a collection uh, with uh, Wayne Leupold, Gracia Grindle's text. But uh, mm -hmm. all my right. current stuff is coming out with Hope. Yeah, so that's a great place, um, Carla, that you could let others in the denomination know who are worship planners that there's there's more from Dan and also from a host of other excellent current hymn writers that I'm sure you all enjoy too, like Shirley Arena Murray, Adam Tice, people like that. Uh, Mel Adam, Bringle, all of, yeah, all of these are friends of ours. Yeah. And, and these, 
Yeah. Um, these can be accessed easily. Well, that is actually really exciting to hear. That's really cool. So you can uh, just go to, what is it, Hope Publishing, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can get Hope's writers with uh, Hope Hymns online. If you just Google that, you can get Carl Daw, Shirley Murray, Brian Wren. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but if, if they're with GIA, then you have to go to, to that publisher to uh, find their hymns. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. some of the people that you just mentioned, like Shirley Arena Murray, she's obviously one of our favorites as well. So I think she has almost more hymns in our hymnal than almost anyone else. It's, it, she really gets community mm-hmm. of Christ, but she is not community of Christ, but she really gets us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're big fans of hers too. Well, I am so grateful that both of you took time out of your busy, busy lives um, to come and talk to me about this. This, uh, You have given me a new appreciation for my hymnal and, you know, shamed me just a little bit for not reading through it, but I needed it. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> it's about time I read through it. And um, Nancy, I didn't even know one of your favorite hymns, the creator of the intertwined is of the intertwined. Yeah. Look I need up. to, I yeah. do. I was just looking at it when you were telling me about it and I need to hear it and sing it and uh, mm-hmm. learn more about that. So I appreciate that very much. And thank you Great. so much for being on the podcast. You are so welcome. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome. Well, you two were fabulous. Born podcasters. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> really good. That was really great. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.